0: Re- repeat these lines for me from Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the, grass withers. the flower, fades, flower fades, but the Word of our God, but the word of our God stands, forever. stands forever. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Let's see what he has to say to us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him, And have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of God. As we continue on in our study of Ephesians 4... And Paul has been teaching us uh, who we are in Christ, about the unity that we have in Christ, the union that we have with the Son of God, but also in Him we have unity with one another. And as he's taught us about who we are in Christ and prayed for our experience of that, now it's we've come through chapter 4, we're finding that he's teaching us that who we are in Christ affects what we do uh, and how we live our life. Who we are in Christ Affects how we conduct ourselves in the church and in the world. And he talked about those uh, acts of unity, about humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, maintaining unity in the spirit, in the bond of peace. And then last week, he talked about us using our gifts that God has given us uh, to build up the church. And each one has been gifted by God uniquely and specifically to carry out. God's will and God's work in the church. And then as we continue on today, picking up in, chapter, in verse 17, he looks back again, just as he has a couple of times already in this letter, to who we were before we knew Christ. And it's important to remember and be reminded again and again who we were before we knew Christ. One, so we can praise God and worship God. Some of you could really tell of the transforming work that God has done in your life who you were before you knew Him and where He's brought you now, and you need to be reminded and look back occasionally so you can say, praise God, that's not who I am anymore. But we also need to look back in, at who we were and be reminded of who we were before we knew Christ so that we don't slide back into some of those things, so that we don't take up old habits once again, so that we don't, having been made a new person in Christ, go back and do some of the things that the old person used to do. He says there in verse 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord. And he's he's making a very strong point with that. He's saying, I insist. I mean what I'm about to say. I'm saying it and I testify in the Lord. That is, you're not just hearing words from me, but you're hearing my testimony as I've heard from the Lord Himself, as I've heard from God. This is God's Word. It's important. Listen up. Are you listening? This is... I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. The salvation that Christ brings is a transformation of life. Paul told the Corinthians if any man be in Christ he is a what? A new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things are become new. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And anyone who would say, I have believed in Christ, or I have been saved or born again, but their life does not demonstrate some shift, some transformation into the image of Christ, we don't have much assurance to to believe that testimony. And so Paul reminds us again, do not any longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And that's what he goes on the next couple of verses to explain. He says, having their understanding darkened. Having their understanding darkened. That reminds me of what Paul told the Corinthians. He said, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. You see, people who don't know Christ, people who have not yet believed the gospel, the gospel is veiled to them. They cannot see it. He says, those whose minds, the God of this age, little g, God, referring to Satan, the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You see, outside of Christ, that life before we knew Christ is one where the gospel is veiled to us, where Satan has blinded us with sin And we can't see the truth. Some of you can give testimony to that, that before you were a Christian, that you lived your life and maybe you heard the gospel and you heard the gospel and people tried to tell you about Jesus, but it just didn't click. It just didn't make sense. You couldn't see the truth. And Satan has blinded their eyes. The gospel is veiled lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ should shine on them. They can't see the light. He says they're alienated from the life of God. Being alienated from the life of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we, looked, we talked about this last week. Jesus said this, this is eternal life, that you may know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. The life that we have in God, the life that Jesus brings is not just quantity of days so you get to live forever, but it is a knowing God. And he says those who are outside of Christ, those who have not been born again, are alienated, separated from the life of God in Christ. James 4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He's not talking about being nice to people who aren't Christians. Of course you're to be a friend. Jesus himself was accused of being a friend of sinners. But the kind of friendship where we take up with them and participate in their practices and approve of their lifestyles, that kind of life, that kind of friendship with the world is setting yourself at enmity with God. If the world is your friend... And you get along and agree on all kinds of stuff. In your relationship with God, he is your enemy. Alienated from the life of God. Separated from him. And friend, that is a sad place to be. It's a terrifying place to be. To be at enmity with God. Because God will come and bring judgment and justice on the earth. He will prevail. He will not be deposed as king And if you are his enemy, you can be sure of this. You will be destroyed. He says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. That probably would have been especially offensive to the Ephesians because they considered themselves to be well-educated. They were smart people. As far as, Academics went in the world in those days. They were top of the class. And Paul comes along and says, if you're outside of Christ, your understanding has been darkened. You're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in you. Because you don't understand. It doesn't mean they're not intelligent. just They cannot grasp the spiritual things. Isn't that what Paul said? He says that the the natural man cannot accept the things of God. They're foreign to him. He can't understand them. Because they are spiritually discerned. We're alienated from that life. We're ignorant because of our unbelief. And he speaks of the blindness or the hardness of their heart. The hardness of their heart. In Romans 1, Paul sort of elaborates on this. He says, "For since the creation of of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even His eternal power and Godhead, so they're without excuse. He says, you look at the world, you see the creation, you can't really say there is no God. There is a creation, therefore there must be a creator. There's a building here, we're sitting in it, therefore there must have been, at one time, a builder. There's a creation, so there's a creator. They're without excuse. But he says this, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Their hearts were hardened, because they did not give God the glory He was due. You can read through this passage, and we see this cycle over and over again. Professing to be wise, they became fools. That's just been my life verse since about twenty. 20, the way the world has gone. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. Who gave them up to uncleanness? God gave them up to uncleanness. To the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worship the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. He speaks of their vile passions and how that uh, men being with men and women being with women in a way that is not natural. And he says that even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. Who gave them over to a debased mind? God. To do those things which are not fitting. And then he... He doesn't want us just to point fingers at homosexuals. He says being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. That list of sins there pretty well encompasses all of us. But when Paul looks at the condition of the world and those who have rejected God, he said they rejected God, they did not accept His ways, so then God rejected them. They hardened their hearts against God, so God hardened their hearts. Do you remember Pharaoh? Pharaoh when Moses went to deliver Israel from Egypt. And God began to send those plagues. He sent the first plague. And you would think after the first one, He would have said, okay, let them go. But it says that his heart was hardened. God sends the second plague, and it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. The third plague comes, Pharaoh hardened his heart. The fourth plague comes, Pharaoh hardened his heart. The fifth plague comes, and you know what it says? It changes. After the fifth plague, it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. After the sixth plague, his heart was hardened. After the seventh plague, his heart was hardened. After the eighth plague, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And his heart was hardened forever. He rejected God. He hardened his own heart. He rejected God's word, and then in turn, in time, God gave him exactly what he wanted, and God hardened his heart. See, the absolute worst thing that God can do for some of us is to give us exactly what we want. We reject his ways, we don't follow his path, we live our lives as we please, we harden our own hearts against him, and at some point, God will say, Okay, that's how you want to live, you want to harden your heart, let me help. And God will harden your heart. See, the hard thing about preaching to to hard hearts, and, and I don't know your hearts, I can't see your hearts, but the hard thing about preaching to hard hearts is, guess what? I can't do anything to undo your hard heart. You see, I can say, don't harden your hearts. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts against him. But if you've hardened your heart, you'll let that go right by, and you won't even pay attention to it. The Word of God says, do not harden your hearts, but if you've hardened your hearts, you don't care. So today, today, if you hear his voice, hear this. If you hear, do not harden your hearts. Because that's what people do when they're outside of Christ. That's how people, that's how unconverted people live. Friend, where do you stand with God? Back to Ephesians 4, verse 19, he says, "...who being past feeling," past feeling, that is, calloused, "...have given themselves over to lewdness, to depravity, to their own sinful desires, to work all uncleanness with greediness." I think about being a teenager and learning how to play the guitar some, and if you've ever done that before, see, I I learned... Those were the bluegrass days. And those guys didn't believe in lightweight strings, okay? You'd end up with bruised and bloody fingers just trying to learn how to play the thing. And it hurt like the Dickens for days. And it'd be miserable. But then over time, what happens? Start building up some calluses on those fingers. Gets a little easier. Doesn't hurt anymore. Then you can play all day and all night and it not bother you one bit. Because you've built up those calluses, you've lost feeling from the pain. Now when you learn to play guitar, that's great. But friends, when it comes to your sin, that's a terrible thing. 1 Timothy 4 says, speaks of those who were speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And friends, you've had that experience the first time you really indulge in a sin. The Holy Spirit lets you know that that was not right and it is painful. But then the next time you come around and do it, and yes, it hurt, but maybe not quite as bad as the first time. And you go on and on and on indulging in sin and the pain gets less and less and eventually you build up calluses Against that sin, where you just can indulge with no problems at all. It doesn't hurt one bit to dive right in. Friend, that's what he means when he speaks of those who were past feeling, those who have become calloused in their sin. I think about Judas. We're told in the Gospels that Judas, every so often, helped himself to the money bag. He was a thief. You know, they, he was trusted, he was trustworthy because they let him be the group treasurer. But when he felt like it, he helped himself to what was in the bag. And now the first time he did that, he probably was real paranoid about maybe somebody saw him or somebody's checking up on the numbers, and he wasn't sure that he'd get away with it. But then maybe the next time it was a little easier, and the next time it was a little easier. And then eventually, what did he do? His love of money took him to the point where he wasn't just content to take what was in the money bag, but he sold the Lord Jesus Christ for silver and betrayed him. His love of money overcame even his relationship with Jesus. And friends, I don't know what sin plagues your life. If you're serious at all about following God, you're going to have sin that's going to try to pull you away. Sin doesn't hide from anyone, but if you indulge in sin, and you indulge in sin, and you indulge in sin, and maybe you have, and maybe you're to the point that it doesn't bother you anymore, friend, stop right where you are, turn around now before you get to a point where you can't turn back. If you hear His voice today, do not harden your hearts. Now he talks about lewdness and uncleanness and a lot of, there was a lot of sexual immorality with, with the paganism and idolatry and Ephesus. You know, and we can point fingers at the world and the sexual revolution and abortion and all those awful things that we ought to call out as sin. But friends, in the church, our sin is usually more subtle than that. Our sins are a little more acceptable or a little more private. Things like pride, greed, secret lusts. Gossip. Slander. Those are the sins that tend to plague churches. Unforgiveness. As we read earlier. Friends, don't go on and on and on and on in those sins to the point that you are past feeling. That they don't bother you anymore. Because he says this in verse 20. But you have not So learned Christ. This is not who you are if you're a Christian. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk. Don't do those things because they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God. They are are ignorant. They are blind. They have gone past feeling. They're callous. Their hearts are hard. They're indulging in their sin. Don't be like that because that is not how you learned Christ. He says learned Christ. That's an interesting way to put it. But he's just speaking of that relationship, knowing him. Some of you know my wife. You know her. You know about her. You've met her. You know some things. You know that she's got a decent voice and can sing. Right? Y'all better say amen, y'all. You know she's got good taste in men. That was not the reaction I hoped for. But you have not learned of her like I have. Because I live with her. I see how great she is way beyond what you see. And I love her in a way that you never can and never will. Friends, this is how you have learned Christ. I'm not asking you if you know about him. I'm not asking you if you've got the facts that you picked up in Sunday school. I'm not asking you those kinds of things. I'm asking you, have you learned of him? Do you live with him? Do you love him? Do you know him? Do you have that relationship ongoing day after day? Have you learned of Christ? He says that in verse 21, he says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. As the truth is in Jesus. He says, Don't walk this way. Don't live like the Gentiles live, because that's not how you've learned Christ. If indeed you have learned Christ, if you really have heard him, if you really have known him. See, there's the possibility that you have learned of Christ, that you have been made a Christian. You've come to know him in a saving way, but Maybe you've momentarily forgotten who you are in him and returned to some of those old ways. That's a possibility. And we'll deal with how to address that in just a moment. But there's also the possibility that you've not learned Christ at all and you are lost and dead in your sins. Friend, if your life is characterized by sin, if your life is marked by an understanding that's darkened, alienated from the life of God, ignorant towards the things of God, blind and hard in your heart, calloused over your sin, there's a very real possibility that you just need to be born again. There are people all across this country, there are people sitting in churches this morning who have professed faith in Jesus, they've they've prayed the sinner's prayer, they've been baptized, and they come and they sit on their church pew, but they are just as lost as any sinner out on the street, and when they die, they will face God in judgment and go to hell. And I don't say that with any pleasure, I say that as a warning. Search your heart. Have you learned Christ? Have you truly heard Him, He says? Jesus says, come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Friend, have you heard His voice? Have you come to Him in that way? Are you resting in Christ? He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and I'll give him living water to drink so that he'll never thirst again. In fact, not only will he never thirst again, but out of him will flow rivers of living water. He says, if you're hungry, come to me and I will let you eat of the bread of life. You'll never hunger again. Have you heard him? Have you been taught of him? Have you truly learned Christ? Oh, friend, if you have not heard his voice today, and if you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. Come to him. The truth is in him alone. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. verse 22, 23, and 24 is all about, for Christians, becoming what you already are. Does that make sense? 22, 23, and 24 is about Christians becoming what you already are. You see, in these verses, he he speaks of putting off the old man and putting on the new, being renewed in your mind, And there's a sense in which that's already who you are. If you've been born again, then the old man is passed away. All things are become new. You have put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You wear His righteousness. We demonstrate that in baptism. That's why we get up here in the tank. And we say, we're buried with Him in the likeness of His death. We go down saying goodbye to the old man. He's going into this grave. And then we come up and we say, raised to new life in Jesus Christ. Because the old man is dead, and now we walk in a new life in him. And so if you've been saved, that's who you are. If you're a Christian, that's who you are. The old man is gone, the new one is here. You've been renewed in Christ. You're walking in new life with him. But in a very real and practical way, we have to take action as we go through this Christian life to live this out. And so that's why we say you're becoming what you already are. Because you already have put off the old man. You already, are, you already have the new one in Christ, but in it, we have to put off those remnants of our old ways and replace them with the righteousness of Christ. There in verse 22, he says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. That word put off, it's the language of taking off clothes. It'd be like just if I took off my jacket here and threw it down on the the front row. But it also speaks of this this swift, decisive action. In our house with two boys, ages six and two, we go through a lot of Band-Aids. Sometimes they're on me because never mind. But we go through a lot of Band-Aids. And what's the rule when it's time to take that thing off? You can peel it real slow and watch every hair pop out of the follicle and, you know, be tormented for half an hour. Or you can grab the edge and rip the thing off. That's the way I like to do it. Just get the thing over with. And that's what I think of when I read what Paul says here, to put off the old man. Yeah, take off those old clothes. Take off that old man and cast him aside, but not just this little toy with it kind of way like... you know, yeah, I know I really need to take this sin off, but mm, that will really be inconvenient. But I really should. Maybe I could start just a little bit and, and just kind of ease off of this sin. No, no, no. Swift, decisive action. Rip the band-aid off. Put off the old man. If this, Listen, this morning I come to preach expecting that God is going to reveal to you sins in your life. Because that's what He does to me when I come to a text like this. And so whatever God is bringing to your mind this morning that needs to be dealt with, don't toy around with it. Because you may not ever take that final action and just be away with it. But rip it off. Throw it away. Get rid of your sin. Put off the old man. Every remnant of the old man. Ask the Lord to prune it away. To purge you of it. To show you things maybe that you don't even see. So that it can be dealt with. In verse 23, how how do we do that? He says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Christianity is not a mindless religion. You don't have to check your brains at the door to be a Christian. In fact, we're called on to engage our minds and to renew them. Note Romans 12.2. Be not conformed to this world, right? We don't want to be conformed to this world. We want to put off the old man. But how do we do that? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul told the the, the Philippians this. He said, whatever things are true or noble or just or pure or lovely or of good report, if there's any virtue or if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And so as we want to put off the old man and put on the new, and we want to live a faithful life in Christ, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that is engaging your mind? What are you putting in your mind? And let's be frank, most of it comes from a screen. Be rid of it, if you must, so that your mind may be renewed with the things of God. What are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you scrolling? In your downtime during the day, you know that, that reaction that you've got in your elbow now where you reach into your pocket when you've got a dead moment? Right? I'm not alone, right? That's a bad habit. It's a terrible habit. That's almost as bad as like smoking or something. You know, to, to, to be standing and have a minute with nothing else going on and you just reach in your pocket and grab your phone. How about instead of that, you take a moment and pray. Think on the things of God. Recall to your mind maybe what you read in your your quiet time with the Lord that morning in His Word. Provided you have a quiet time with the Lord in His Word. Call the things of God to your mind. Meditate on Scripture. Renew your mind. That's how we put off and be rid of our sin, of our old nature. But you can't just take off the old, you have to replace it with something, right? Thomas Chalmers wrote this wonderful sermon about 200 years ago called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. It's a good sermon title, I should use it sometime. The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And the point is this, you can try all day long to be rid of sin, but it seems like it keeps coming back. You can throw it off and it's like it keeps coming back. What do you do to cast it off and to actually be rid of it? You cast it off and you find something new to love in its place. One person gave the illustration. How do you get, you're in a lab and you've got a beaker. How do you get air out of a beaker? How do you get air out of a beaker? Fill it up up with water. Yeah. You got to put something else in its place. I mean, that racked my brain for a minute. I don't know how you get air out of a beaker. What is he talking about? There's probably some machine somewhere that somebody's invented. That that doesn't make sense. You fill it up with water, and there's no more air. So it is with your sin. Friends, you want to be rid of your sin. You want to put off the old man. You want to do away with the old ways. You know what you have to do? you got to fill it back up with what's good. you got to fill it back up with what's righteous. You've got to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 13, verse 12, he says, The night is far spent, and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Verse 14, he says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So you can say, well, I'm not going to do this sin anymore, and you can try to put all these restrictions on yourselves, all these barriers, try to convince yourself psychologically not to go in that direction or to do that thing, but you're going to fail unless in place of that sin you, re- you have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ in a renewed way. See, if you're dealing with lust, then you need to replace it with pure mind. If you're dealing with anger, you've got to replace it with Self-control. If you're dealing with bitterness, you've got to replace it with forgiveness and compassion. If you're dealing with gossip and slander, you've got to replace it with edifying speech that builds up. So whatever your sin is, you bring it to God, you confess it, and you say, God, I'm tired of this sin, I want to be rid of it, I want to put off the old man, I want my mind renewed. So instead of this, give me this. Lord, I give you this, I cast off this sin, this besetting sin that I can't seem to shake, and I'm asking you to replace it in my heart with something righteous. You think God doesn't want to hear that prayer? You think that's one he'll say, well, I don't know if I want to answer that today or not. Of course God wants you to do that. He's commanded us to put off the old man, to be renewed in our mind, and put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Because our new nature is that of God. It is, we are partakers of the life of God in Christ. And that's what He wants to produce in us. He wants to make us more and more every day like Jesus. And so we need to just pray now, okay? I'm done with my Bible, I'm setting it aside. Bow your heads. Because you can't just come to a passage like this and walk away like nothing's happened. If you do, then your heart is hard. And you're the very one that needs to hear it. Pray this right now. Ask God to reveal to you any areas of darkness or hardness in your heart. Lord, search me, know me, try me and reveal to me any areas of darkness or hardness in my heart. Whatever it is that the Lord brings to your mind as we sit quietly, confess it to him. God, I recognize this sin and I want to be rid of it. Pray for renewal in Christ. Lord, help me to fill my mind with what is holy and good and will draw me to you. And replace that sin with righteousness and love for Christ. Lord, I see this sin in my life I want to be rid of it. I want to have my mind renewed. So I give it to you and I'm asking you to replace it with the opposite of that sin. Whatever that may be for you. I'm going to pray and then we'll just continue in silent prayer. And Laura will play on the piano just for a moment as we continue in prayer. Lord, indeed search our hearts. Reveal to us those dark and hard places. And lead us to repentance. And a renewed love for you. And Lord, perhaps, perhaps there is someone whose heart is hard, that they're living in sin because they just need to be born again. May they run to Christ this morning and be saved. In Jesus' name.